chapter 32 of Gold Cord by Amy Carmichael. And this is the prelude to chapter 32, which I thought was a really good quote today. Nothing strikes me so much in a life of great sorrow and trial as the deep humanity of the scriptures and of him of whom the scriptures testify. Hymns and most human compositions of a devout kind breathe far too pure and difficult an air, rise to far too sunny and unclouded a height for my struggling soul to breathe and live in. Only in the divine book do I find the deep human cry. Only in the Psalms of David and in the word made flesh do I find what suits my struggling humanity. Elise Hopkins. Chapter 32, In Vain. Our chief traveler during those years was Frances Beath. She was ready at any hour to start on a long journey to save a child. Her journeys covered many thousands of miles. We ceased to count the miles. The changes at crowded stations, at midnight or in the early hours of the morning, made these journeys difficult, and the packed carriages were tiring too. But nothing mattered if only she could return bringing a baby with her, sometimes two or three. They were so tiny, often so pitifully fragile looking, that to the casual eye it seemed much exertion for little profit. But when they had grown into sturdy, jolly, dancing tedlets, as many of them did, even the most doubtful felt it worthwhile. For years, the care of the babies had fallen chiefly on our nurse, Mabel Wade, and it was a relief when our first doctor, Gladys Webster, came answer as we then believed to our prayer of years. But she had hardly settled down before she had to return home with what was thought to be tuber tubercular, tubercular sorry, trouble. It was the first of those strange crashes of hope for which we had been prepared. But the most prolonged trial of faith, it continues to be so, was the baffling ease with which again and again the enemy forestalled us. Yes, a man from the dramatic company was here, and he took little boys back, two little boys back with him. I had seen them playing in the courtyard the day before, but I did not know that anyone was trying to get them. This sort of thing became a dreadful commonplace. There was always someone on the ground before we got there but I do not know how to gather up into a page or two anything which will give an insight into the nature of this wrestle with visible and invisible foes for these who are being drawn into the vortex of the dramatic companies. Scouts are everywhere. Those scouts are like creatures with tentacles. They close around the child and suck it in. A lost battle is the battle one believes lost. There are three courses. You can retire, stand fast, attack. I forbid the first. You can take your choice of the other two. That's from Marshall Fock. With this in mind, I will tell of a battle not yet won. 
It was Das of Moneytown, a hard, worldly-minded place like its name, who told us of two little brothers who had been bought by a woman in Tranvancore and offered to the dramatic company just then performing in one of our temple towns. The elder, a boy of nine, was in training. The little one, a beautiful child of four, was promised to the company. No one but Das would have dreamed of trying to save them. But he was of the kind that dares anything, a man created for forlorn hopes. So he set out. He meant to try to get a chance to make friends with the boys, in spite of their guard. Such children are very carefully guarded. Men attend them wherever they go. They are not allowed to have casual speech with strangers. This is not to be wondered at when their value to the company is considered. We were offered over a hundred pounds. It was brought and definitely tendered to us for a baby boy whose beauty made him desirable. Somehow Das managed to reach the boys and see them alone. The elder one responded wistfully, Yes, he would like to come, but she, the so-called mother, would never let him. The smaller boy munched his sweets contentedly and was as friendly as four years old can be with a big and wonderful brother who buys sweets in the bazaar. Das longed to carry them off then and there, but had to keep his promise and return them to the mother. It was the first step, and then, having received a fresh touch of God upon his spirit and full of a bright hope, Das went again. I cannot remember any time when we who were left to think of him as he went upon this errand were more filled with hope, for our God does do such wonderful things for the encouragement of those whom he has lately drawn into his sanctuary. After he left, a disquieting thing was shown to one of us as in a picture. Even Das returning home sadly, deeply discouraged. The woman had gone off with a younger child. So it appeared in that showing. The older one could not be found. A note of this that had been shown was written down and dated, though there did not seem to be much use in it. Next day, Das returned. He told us that he had gone to the house where the woman and the boys had been, but found that she had gone away with a younger boy, and the older one had been given to the dramatic company and was quite out of reach. The company had left the town. No one knew where it had gone. Das had then traced the woman to a city a hundred miles distant and had followed and found her. And with all his heart so newly moved in love and longing, he had pleaded with her not to doom this lovely boy to destruction. And into her mind a fear had crept. What if the great God had sent this man who said that he was his messenger? What if he wanted the child? Deep in the heart of India, if only one can pierce to it, is a sense of God. Many a child is here because of that sense. Let our thoughts be tender when we think of India. The fiercer our fight against the unclean power, whose nature is sun summed up visibly in certain of the symbols of Hinduism, the gentler let our thoughts be of the soul of this people who might be so different. The woman had wavered. At last, 
You may have him, she said, and she pushed the boy towards Das. Quickly, I went to the bazaar, he running alongside. He had many gold chains and bangles on his wrists and ankles, some that only a goldsmith could get off. The goldsmith was filing through a bangle when suddenly I heard an angry voice. It was the woman. She rushed in, raging, and seized the boy. Her sister had discovered what she had done and had reviled her and cursed her in that name of the gods. She could not stand against that. So she had come for him, and she snatched him off and carried him off. Deeply dejected, Das sighed. Then he read the note that God had given us, which told in a few words just what had been, and his eyes cleared. Go to the depths of a wood on a dull and heavy day. Look up. See only dark treetops. Look around. See only dark and crowding leaves. Listen and hear the sullen roar of a cataract and the cold noise of unlighted water and feel the clinging wet mist. Then suddenly see the flashing of sunbeams everywhere. A wind is blowing in your face. It has scattered the mist. The water is sounding joyfully now. You look up through the leaves. They are like windows of transparent emerald. Far above the treetops, you see blue sky. Make thy face to shine upon us, and we shall be saved. That must have been written out of doors. It has the feel of the sun and the wind. Just such an illumined moment visited us now. Das read the note, knew that he had not stood alone in that street, gone into that house alone, traveled alone in the train, been alone when he talked to that woman. One who saw all, heard all, had been there, and that same one had been here. This note showed that, and just to know it for certain brought light. While he was still in the glow of a recovered gladness, Das went to another town for another child and saved him, spreading everywhere a sense of the reality of the unseen, so that a missionary working in very difficult in a very difficult city hearing of this so recent, recent touch of the Lord on common life, was strengthened. Then he went to the town where the woman and the little boy were living, sure that this time he would return with that child, and perhaps his brother too. Meanwhile, we had been praying that the fear of the living God might come upon that woman so that she would not dare to refuse the boys to him. And indeed, the fear of God had come upon her. Take the child. He is yours for the taking. And she pointed to a little bundle in the corner of the room. It was the four-year-old boy. He was covered with smallpox and blind. Safe from the drama now, was Das's first thought. The dramatic people do not want marred faces. But what a piteous way of salvation. Come back for him. He is yours, said the hoarse, anguished voice of the woman. I promise him to you. And she poured out torrents of invective on the sister, whose curse had changed her purpose and led to this great misery. And again, a few weeks later, Das went for him, but he could find no trace of him. Is that little boy playing in the father's house today? 
A happy child not blind? We do not know. The impenetrable silence of India has swallowed up that woman and those boys. A sad story, and so different from the kind we all like best, the kind that ends happily and leaves us content. In some moods, such a story is unendurable. But we are not left uncomforted. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And not one of them shall fall on the ground without your father? Were not these two little brothers of more value than many sparrows? And a story of comfort comes to me as I think of those little brothers and of others over whom we would write in vain, if it were not for that glorious, not in vain in the Lord, that cannot be refuted by anything that can ever happen. Soon after our work began, and before it was quite understood what kind of child we were commissioned to save, people sent us children who were not in temple danger, and our nurseries were filled and the strength of our few workers was exhausted so that we came very near to our limit. And what if we passed that limit and could not take the child whose peril haunted our dreams? Then several fellow missionaries who were carrying on work for children in other districts offered to take some from us, and we knew that all would be well with them. Some of them proved to be delicate or difficult or both, but they kept them. When we take a child, it's for better or for worse, they said, and we blessed them, for it meant that more room was left for those others treated, threatened by the temple. Indian Christian families also asked for little girls to adopt and bring up with their own. This seemed a good plan. In every case, the adopters brought assuring letters from missionaries and pastors, and we went to see them ourselves and did our best to make sure all was well. There were some very happy adoptions, but the greater number were unsatisfactory. Too often, all that was wanted was a cheap slave. We had to retrieve most of the children, and as they had learned the evil talk of the streets by that time, they were, and for years continued to be a problem. Some had been cruelly treated. One child had over 30 marks on her face and body caused by cutting or burning. It was months before she recovered. Her adopting father was of such respectability that he would have been elected as an official in his church if it had not been for the missionary who helped me to retrieve that child. He took me in the sidecar of his motorcycle to the house, and we carried her off together. But one child, her name was Heavenly One, we hopelessly lost. Her adopters left the city of Madras, and no one knew their address. After searching its lanes and byways, the city covers an immense area and numbers over half a million. We gave it up. Little Heavenly One was lost. Then one day by chance, we read in a missionary magazine of a little girl from South India being found in a bazaar in Pune. The ZBMM missionaries had taken her into their children's home. Could it be Heavenly One? It was. We wrote to Pune and to our relief, heard what assured us that it was that very child. Lonely and neglected, she had wandered about in that strange city 
to which her adopters had taken her. She did not know the language. She could not explain anything to anyone. But she was not lost. She was not forgotten. Not one of them is forgotten before God. The ZBMM, God bless them, found her. They tended her lovingly, but before long, little heavenly one flew away to the country where all the birds sing. At the end of the day, shall we not find them all? Will not all our forlorn hopes look different then? All our winters turn to spring, all our nights to dawn. In this fight for the souls for whom Christ died, may we ever say, in vain. That is the end of chapter 32.